0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here to share uh, with you this morning, and I'm very excited to uh, be able to take you through uh, the book of Matthew. Well, they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children who knew Aslan was any more sorry, none of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump on their inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. Susan asked, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslam without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver said? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Well, you may recognise that. That's from C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And they're describing what it's like to meet Aslan, the king, king of Narnia. Humans and animals alike have two very different reactions, two opposite reactions to Aslan. They either respond in worship or in hatred. C.S. Lewis created the character of Aslan to represent another king, the king that we'll meet today uh, in today's passage, King Jesus. And in our passage today, we are introduced to a baby born in miraculous circumstances who was anything but an ordinary baby. Even in the cradle, those who heard about him and met him responded either with worship or fear and hatred. Matthew tells the stories of contrasting reactions to the king. Herod, a puppet king of Rome, sees in Jesus a threat to his power and he responds to him with a closed fist, grasping at his own power and wanting to crush this baby before he grows up. Then there are the Magi, pagan astrologists from the east, who come to Jesus with open hands being willing to follow a path that leads them to the king and then when they recognise that when they get to the king to bow down and worship him and right from the beginning of this account of the life of Jesus Matthew and above him God himself calls us is challenging us about how we will respond to the king You see, there are only two choices. We must either fall down on our knees in worship as Lord and King or else reject him and face the consequences of being a rebel. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you for this story which we're quite familiar with, this birth narrative of Jesus. Please speak to us today. Help us to hear it in new ways. And above all, help us to be conscious that Uh, We're not just reading a story, but we're being addressed by God himself and that you are calling us, you are challenging us about how we will respond to the King. Please give us ears to hear you. And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, the story of these two contrasting reactions to Jesus is really only part of a bigger story of who Jesus is. And Matthew in these one and a half chapters gives us a grand picture of how this one man Jesus would bring a whole lot of different threads of the Old Testament scriptures together and end up being God's answers, God's answer to the problem of how sinful humans can exist with a holy God. Matthew introduces Jesus as the Messiah But this Messiah has many names or roles that point to who he is and what he came to earth to do. So today we'll look at Matthew 1 and 2 in two parts. Firstly, we're going to explore four of the names that Matthew introduces Jesus as. And in our second part, we're going to look at the two different ways in our story that look at two ways that people respond to the identity of Jesus And then we'll see that you and I aren't just onlookers in this story, but we are also part of this story. So let's get into it. Uh, Our first um, first point is that Jesus is a Messiah with many names. Um, Please have your Bibles open or you can follow on on the screen. I'll have the Bible verses up on the screen as we go. So let's dive into verse 18. Uh, Matthew starts off by saying this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Matthew is writing to a mainly Jewish audience who would have known the scriptures that we know as the Old Testament. Messiah is a title meaning a king uh, who is also a saviour, a king who would save, as well as that he would judge the nations, and rule over them. He would would save Israel and restore her people after they were taken into exile. At the time of writing, Israel had been in exile for 400 years. They were only in exile in Babylon physically for 70 years. But since then, even after the return to the land of Israel, they were still really in exile um, because God had not returned uh, in, in a sense to Israel. God had not returned in his presence in the temple. As well as that, at the time of Jesus' birth, they were oppressed by the Romans. They were living in Israel, but they were occupied by a foreign power. They longed for deliverance and freedom. Surely this Messiah would come with a sword at the head of God's army and come and beat up on God's enemies and deliver them. Is this who Jesus would be? Well, whatever this Messiah was like, he was no ordinary man with no ordinary birth. When Joseph, Mary's fiancé, finds her pregnant, he decides to divorce her quietly. But an angel comes to him in a dream. Have a look at verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is no ordinary conception for no ordinary baby. He was conceived by God's Spirit. Well, the angel then goes on to tell Joseph what the baby is to be named in verse 21. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This Messiah will be a saviour. Now, notice there's no mention of a political saviour, no mention of coming with a sword, but instead he would save his people from their sins. This first simple statement of the meaning of Jesus' name sums up the whole reason why Jesus was born. He came to save his people. In fact, he came to save the world from their sin. He came to save you and me. That is our first and greatest need. The last couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of people in desperate need, haven't we, on the news? Um, here in Australia, uh, in southeast Queensland, and in Lismore, where we used to live on the north coast, people having no choice but to climb on top of their roofs, waiting to be saved. And then, of course, on the other side of the world, as we prayed about today in Ukraine, people who are desperate be saved thousands of civilians caught up in the barrage of artillery and gunfire being helpless to, to even get out of the of Ukraine for many of the flood victims there was no escape until someone came to rescue them on a boat they needed a physical rescue but what we all need is a spiritual rescue without dying sorry, without Jesus coming to die for our sin, each one of us faces an eternity without God. And that means without everything that is good and beautiful and enjoyable and worth living for in this world. And friends, we can't save ourselves. We like the people up there on the roof. We need a rescuer. We need a saviour. And that's why Jesus came, to save us from our sin. Well, in the very next verse, G.R. Matthew introduces the second name of Jesus. First name is Saviour. The second um, have a look at verse 22 with me. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. We're probably familiar with the name Emmanuel. It's something we often hear at Christmas time, isn't it, with the birth stories of Jesus, no, uh, meaning God with us. But the promise that that name brings isn't just applicable to the birth story because the idea of God with us goes right through the book of Matthew. It goes right through the New Testament. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, it's repeated right at the end as well. The very last verse of the book, have a look at it with me. Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus says to his disciples, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us. With us always to the very end of the age. So the beginning of the book, And the end of the book tell us that God has come to be with his people, to always live with them, to stay with them to the very end of the age. This Messiah is not only a saviour sent by God, he is God himself who has left his throne to come to be with his people, to be born as one of us, to live the life we live, to get hungry with us and thirsty, to be happy and sad, to suffer and then to die. But not just to die like us. He died a death totally unlike any of us will ever die because he died for us and for the whole world. Amazingly, this God with us who died for us is also a king of, who rules over us? Matthew throws at us yet another quote from the Old Testament in verse six, "But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will, become, will come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus will grow up as a king with authority to rule and be a shepherd over Israel." We know from the uh, New Testament that Israel, God's, God's people in the Old Testament, came to symbolise more than just the land of Israel and the people who lived there. It came to symbolise, came to represent the people of God in all nations across the ages. It came to symbolise us, the church. And so Jesus is now our ruler and shepherd And what that means is, as we'll see in the next section, what he demands is our response in worship. As a shepherd calls his sheep, Jesus calls us to follow him, to obey him, to trust in him as king and saviour. Saviour, Emmanuel, king. And then the final name of Jesus that Matthew introduces us to in this final in this section is Israel. He doesn't use the name Israel, but that's who he's pointing to. Have a look in verse 13. When they are gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So as we read in chapter 2, the Magi had just visited baby Jesus with Joseph and Mary but King Herod gets his also about the birth and his plan wasn't to bring presents uh, and worship as the Magi did but to kill him and so the angel tells Joseph and Mary to hide to go to Egypt to hide from Herod once again Matthew tells us that this fulfills scripture from the prophet Hosea in this case who said out of Egypt I called my son Hosea is talking about Israel and God often calls Israel in the Old Testament his son or his daughter. And so what's going on here is that Jesus is being identified with Israel. And think about the history of the nation of Israel. where Think about where they began their history. They really began, their, the, the birth of the nation, if you like, was really in Egypt, wasn't it? in slavery for 400 years, where they grew out of just being one family to a whole nation. And Jesus begins his life here on earth by retracing those steps. He is identifying with Israel, Emmanuel, God with us, with his people, becoming one with them. But more than that, We know from the Old Testament that Israel failed miserably, didn't they, when it came to obeying God and and being the people that they were meant to be. As Matthew's Gospel goes on, we see that Jesus lived the life that Israel were meant to but never could. He lived the perfect life of obedience. What Jesus did was he became Israel for Israel. We haven't got time to flesh that out today, but we'll kind of unpack that as we move through Matthew. Jesus becomes Israel and lives the life of obedience for us that we could not live. Well, Matthew has announced to us the birth of Jesus the Messiah and introduced what he is like. And at the same time, his birth... uh, And at the time of his birth, others hear about him as well. Uh, And here Matthew changes gears to uh, talk uh, talk about um, how people respond to the news of the birth of this king. And in chapter 2, as we heard earlier, this focus is on two groups of people, the Magi and King Herod. They respond in contrasting ways to the announcement of the king. The Magi respond with open hands. They respond with joy, willingly led to where Jesus was so that they could bow down and worship him. Let's pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Who were these magi? Kind of strange, that they're introduced really without introduction. Well, the word refers to astrologers who uh, were priests of Zoroastrianism. That's a mouthful, but that's a, a Persian religion which, believe it or not, actually still exists in small pockets today. Uh, And what they did was they studied the stars uh, and were guided by one particular star to lead them to Jerusalem, as we hear in this story. We don't know how that happened, but somehow God revealed to these Magi that a king of the Jews was going to be born in Jerusalem or near Jerusalem. Now, they must have known that, that Jesus was more than just an earthly king because notice how they respond. They haven't just come to bring their respects. It's not some kind of polite diplomatic mission. Um, they've actually come to worship. Have a look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And then on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. You see, they somehow re- they understood, recognised that this baby represented a hope and, and um that goes beyond just an earthly king and causes them to rejoice exceedingly, as the ESV puts it. They bowed down and worshipped him. Now, we just don't know how much the Magi understood. Maybe they only had a bit of a fuzzy view, a fuzzy idea of Jesus being more than, than an earthly king. But clearly God had revealed something significant to them. And as we often see in God's kingdom, God reveals Himself to the most unexpected of people, doesn't He? Here we have obscure magi who who look at the stars and, and pagan idolaters. Really, they worship another religion from uh, far away from Israel. They see more clearly who Jesus the Messiah is than His own people than most of His own people do through the Gospel of Matthew. And what Matthew is doing in telling us this story of the Magi is that he holds them up as a model for how to respond rightly, how to respond appropriately to the news of the king. To come to him with open hands, come to him in trust and anticipation. Well, the Magi coming to Jerusalem looking for the new king had some unintended consequences because someone else heard the news as well. And it's King Herod. Have a look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Notice the contrast with the Magi. Magi overjoyed, Herod is disturbed. Why? Because Herod is a king, a puppet king installed by Rome, but he's still a king. And uh, he's pretty desperate to hang on to his power. But here he hears the news of another king coming to his turf. And a king hearing about the birth of another king in his backyard Uh, Well, that isn't good news, is it? This Messiah was a rival king. And Herod wasn't about to um, come to some uh, cosy power sharing arrangement with this new Messiah. He had to go. And so he calls the Magi and tells them to report back to him where Jesus is. He says, so that I may worship him too. But we all know that's not the real reason. Instead of the open hands of the Magi, Magi, Herod wants to meet the Messiah with a closed fist. The Magi are warned not to return to Jerusalem. Um, uh, Then Herod shows his true colours when he realises that he's been tricked by the Magi. Verse 16, when Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Jerusalem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learnt from the Magi. Herod was threatened by the arrival of Jesus. His response is to lash out with a closed fist, a fist that grasped after power, with a fist that refused to acknowledge what was plainly before his eyes as God bursting into history. Notice that Herod knew that the scriptures predicted the coming of the Messiah. When he called together all the people, verse 4, when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So it wasn't as if Herod was ignorant of these prophecies. The religious leaders told him that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Herod must have believed them because he sent his posse to kill all the infant boys uh, to Bethlehem. God put the truth plainly before Herod's Herod's eyes, but he refuses to see it. Power and self-protection trump the truth and listening to God. So Matthew tells a story of two very different responses to Jesus the Messiah. But you know, there's also someone else in this story. Matthew doesn't name them. But this story and the whole book is addressed to them. And that person is you and me. Because every time we listen to these stories or pick up this book and read the words, God is speaking to you through these words. And what he wants to say to you today through these words is to ask you a question. How do you respond to the king? And Matthew holds up these two opposite responses to Jesus to make a point that with Jesus it's either one or the other. There's no third way, there's no third choice. You either respond like the Magi with open hands in trust and faith to the king And bow down before him or you close your fist to Jesus and to God as a rebel. As we'll see through the stories of Jesus' three years of public ministry as we move through Matthew, time and time again people respond in one of these two ways. They either follow him with open hands, trusting that they need him, that he died for their sins, that he demands their loyalty and our loyalty, or they reject him. And he makes it clear that failing to open our hands to him and to trust him isn't just a position of neutrality. By not making a decision to follow Jesus, we are actually closing our fists to him and rejecting him. And so, friends, as we start our journey through Matthew's gospel, I urge you to listen to the voice of God with open hands. Don't just hear these stories as if you're a bystander, casually observing what's happening. Listen. Listen to the voice of the Messiah. Hear his call as Saviour. Know that he is not a distant God, but he is Emmanuel who is with us, knowing us intimately, loving us so much that he died for us. Bow your knee to Jesus, the King, knowing that he is not a monarch who rules from afar, but he is also God who came came to be with us, the true Israel who went through everything that we go through but living the perfect life of obedience that we could live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. You are King, you are Messiah, you are Saviour, and you are the perfect Israel. Lord God, we pray that you will give us ears to respond to our King. Not just as a nice story, not just um, paying lip service to him, but by giving him our lives in trust, in faith, knowing that he has died for us, for our sins, and bowing our knees to him as King. Father, give us the grace to do that.